what I do love about the New Year's is that it reminds us of new beginnings. And I think deep down it reminds us that we all have this desire to change, to be different. Maybe you've seen this ad recently. Google every year, they do a year in review. And this year for their ad, they chose the question. They said this question was asked more in 2022 than it's ever been asked in history before. I think that's probably an exaggeration. But here's the question. Can I change? Can I change? That's the question that they wanted to summarize 2022 in one question. I think the answer is a resounding yes. Yes, of course you can change, but we have to begin in the right place. In a world full, saturated with content and news medias and social medias and all the different information out there, we must begin, if we want to change, we must begin in the right place and with the right person. And so today what we are going to do is we are going to begin with maybe the most famous sermon that's ever been preached, with the most famous person that has ever walked the planet. We're going to begin today with the Sermon on the Mount, which was preached by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them there. Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 is where we're going to begin today. And we are beginning a brand new series over the next three months on the Sermon on the Mount, which is called Different, and how Jesus is going to call us to live a different kind of life. And today, we're just going to kind of do an outline of the whole sermon. If we were to just read through the sermon, which would be uh, an important thing for us to do, I want to encourage you to do that this week. It would take about 15 minutes or so, but we're not going to do that today. We are just going to get an outline of the sermon. And there's a lot of places we could start. Because this is the longest recorded sermon that we have of Jesus. This is the most famous sermon that we have of Jesus. This is a sermon that inspired MLK and Gandhi's political activism. This is a great sermon. Where do we begin? Well, what I want to do is I want to treat this sermon like a sermon. Preachers, as we prepare for our sermons, we have different objectives in mind that we hope to be accomplished through the sermon. And so we have head, heart, and hands. And so we have the head. What, what do we want people to think when we get done with the sermon? Heart. What do we want people to feel when we get done with the sermon? And then hands. What do we want people to do when we get done with a sermon? And so what I want to do is I want to ask these questions with the Sermon on the Mount. What does Jesus want us to know? What does he want us to feel? And what does he want us to do in this famous sermon? And so let's begin with the head. What does Jesus want us to know? Go ahead and look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. This is setting us up for our famous sermon. Here's what it says. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, and then he preaches for the next three chapters. For us to understand this sermon well, we have to realize that there's a narrative flow to the gospel of Matthew. Jesus has been doing stuff up to this point. And 
Thankfully for us, Matthew summarizes it just a couple verses ahead. If you have your Bibles open, look up a little bit. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. This is a summary statement of all the things that Jesus has been doing. Later in chapter 9, verse 35, this same summary statement is going to be used. So if you're someone who underlines in your Bible or circles stuff, this is an important verse to circle. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming Claiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. What Matthew does here for us is he sets us up with a nice little roadmap for the next five chapters of Matthew. Because Matthew chapter 5 through 7, Jesus is going to teach us about the kingdom of God. So all the things that Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of God, Matthew 5 through 7 is going to tell us about that. And then in Matthew chapter 8 through 9, it's going to tell us all these different stories about Jesus's healings. And so we see here that this sermon is a sermon focused on the kingdom of God. That is going to be the subject matter of this sermon. And since it's focused on the kingdom of God, we need to think through uh, just what, what are going to be some of these words. These words are going to be beautiful. There's going to be words in there like, Words like, judge not lest you be judged. Words like, pray for those, pray for your enemies and those who persecute you. Words like, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. These are beautiful words, but, but what's even more beautiful than the words are who the words are coming from. The words are coming from Jesus, the King. Jesus is the King, teaching about a different kind of kingdom. Jesus is the king with a different kind of kingdom, and Matthew wants to see this in a couple different, couple different ways. Number one, he tells us in Matthew chapter 5, he tells us in verse 1 that Jesus goes up on a mountainside. Did you catch that part in the very first verse? Jesus went up on a mountainside. Why would Jesus go up on a mountainside? Well, I mean, mountains are beautiful. Here's a picture of uh, when we went to NYR this past year. I mean, that's absolutely beautiful. You can kind of see NYR. That would be your top left over there. That's where we go every summer. We take a big group uh, and help them to experience Jesus. So that's one of my beautiful, most beautiful places, the hike, one of the hikes that we go. Did Jesus go up on a mountain to just see something that was beautiful? No. The reason Jesus went up on a mountain is because in the Bible, mountains are important. They're so important, in fact, that later this summer, we're going to go through a sermon series called Mountaintop Moments, where we look at all these different mountains in the Bible and why they are important. But what Matthew wants us to see as we see Jesus come up on the mountainside is we are supposed to think of a specific mountain and a specific person. We are supposed to think of Mount Sinai and the prophet Moses. Jesus goes up on a mountainside to make us think of Moses and Mount Sinai. Now, maybe some of you, uh, you haven't read your Bible much this year is kind of one of your New Year's resolutions. But in the Bible, we hear about how God's people were in Egypt and he brings them out of slavery. He redeems them. He brings them out of slavery, and he brings them to a place, to Mount Sinai. And it's there at Mount Sinai that God enters into a covenant relationship with them. 
He says, I am going to be your God, and you are going to be my people. And since they're going to be his people, he needs to give them his instructions. And so what Moses does is he goes up on a mountain, receives the revelation from the Lord, what we sometimes call the Ten Commandments, and then brings it down to the people. That's what Moses was to do on that mountain, to get God's instructions for God's people. And what we're supposed to see here on this mountain is that Jesus goes up on this mountain like Moses and he is going to give God's instructions to God's people. But there's something different about Jesus. He's not just a prophet. He is the king ushering in a new kind of kingdom. These aren't just the words of a prophet. These are the words of God. And so, Matthew wants us to see as Jesus goes up this mountain that Jesus is a king with a different kind of kingdom. So he he does that by showing us that Jesus uh, goes up a mountain, but he also shows us this by showing us that Jesus has this different kind of authority about him. After Jesus finishes his sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, if you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, Jesus has just finished his sermon, and here's like the summary statement of what the people think after Jesus gets done with these amazing words. It says this, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, (coughs) excuse me, because he taught as one who had authority and not as teachers of the law. So what separates Jesus and his teachings is he has this special kind of authority, not the authority of a prophet, but the authority of a king. If we fast forward a couple of chapters, Matthew chapter 9, remember in the outline of Matthew, these are where all these different healings take place. And Jesus heals a paralyzed man and he forgives his sins which only God is allowed to do. And in chapter 9, verse 8, here's what it says. It says, when the crowd saw this, this healing, and that he also forgave his sins, they were filled with awe and they praised God because he had given such authority to man. There's, there's something different about this authority that has been given to Jesus because he's not just a teacher. He's not just a prophet. No, he is a king who has a new kind of kingdom. And then if you get to the very end of the gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus has already died on the cross for our sins. He has uh, been in the tomb for three days. He's raised from the dead, proving that he really is the king. And he gathers all of his followers to him. He's about to leave. And here's what he tells them. Verse 18, chapter 28. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. What Matthew wants us to know as we come to the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus is the king with a different kind of kingdom. And if we come to the Sermon on the Mount with a different kind of lens, it's just not going to make sense. And we're going to completely miss what Jesus is trying to do. The head, what are we supposed to know, is that Jesus is the king 
with a different kind of kingdom. But what about the heart? What, what does Jesus want us to feel with this sermon? Well, I think the heart of the sermon is that Jesus wants us to feel invited into a different kind of life. Jesus wants us to feel invited into a different kind of life. Look back with me at the very beginning before the sermon even begins in Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. I want you to see who the original audience is because this will change how we view the sermon. Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, so the crowds are around, He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, he said. So who's the original audience? It's the disciples. The disciples are who Jesus is trying to teach with the Sermon on the Mount. This is actually the first time that the word disciples is used in all of the Gospel of Matthew. It's going to be used 71 different times. It's an important word. So what's the difference between the disciples and the crowds. Well, the disciples are sold out followers for Jesus. The disciples are ones who will go with Jesus no matter where they're calling him to go. A disciple of Jesus is someone who's going to sit at his feet and learn from him and try to do what he is asking them to do. This is important when we come to the Sermon on the Mount because the Sermon on the Mount is not how we get into heaven. That's not what he's trying to accomplish. The Sermon on the Mount isn't a way for us to try and earn God's love. No, no. what the Sermon on the Mount is an invitation into another kind of life for his disciples. This is important because the crowds are near when Jesus is preaching this sermon. The crowds are near, and as Jesus is preaching this sermon, he he knows they're around, and so he's constantly wooing them and inviting them also into this different kind of life. The crowds are the people who are intrigued with Jesus. They like to see his healings and like to listen to some of his teachings. But what we find through the Gospel of Matthew is that though the crowds are intrigued with Jesus, the more they look at Jesus, actually the more they begin to reject Jesus. So much so that at at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, they are the ones who cry out, crucify him, crucify him. And so I think it's dangerous for us to look at Jesus and be intrigued by Jesus, but to not fully devote ourselves to him. Because the longer we do that, I think the more we actually begin to reject him. But the sermon is not for the crowds. The sermon is for these disciples. And he's inviting them. He's inviting us into a different kind of, of life. We actually see the heart of the sermon in Matthew chapter 6. So if you want to turn there, it's in the next, probably the next page of your Bible. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus is teaching in the context of prayer. He's about to teach on the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. But before he gets there in verse 5, here's what Jesus says. He says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in their synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And so Jesus says, do not be like them. John Stott, he's a famous Bible teacher in the UK. He says that phrase, do not be like them, is at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew, he's going to tell us here, he tells 
he says here, Jesus says here, do not be like the hypocrites. These are the religious leaders of the day. These are the people who come to church every single day. These are the people who read their Bibles. These are the people who pray very eloquent prayers. These are the people on the outside who seem like they have a good relationship with God. But what Jesus says here is don't be like them because their hearts are far from me. They look good on the outside, but on the inside, they have rotten hearts. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, he says that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, unless your heart is truly set on fire for me, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so on one hand, Jesus says, don't be like these religious leaders, these, these teachers of the law who look like they have it all together but really don't. And then, fast forward a couple more verses, he says, don't be like the pagans. The pagans, this is terrible. I call people pagans all the time, the people who mess with me. Uh, I probably shouldn't. Pagan just means like a non-Christian, someone who wants nothing to do with God. And so listen to what, what Jesus says. He says, don't be like these religious leaders, but also don't be like these pagans because they don't want anything to do with God. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. He says, when you pray, <coughs> do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Life in the kingdom of God is different. And if you're invited into this different kind of life, you're going to look different than these religious leaders, and you're going to look different than the people who want nothing to do with God. We're going to look different. And I think this is where the rub comes in for a lot of us. Because I think if we're honest, on one hand, we want to be special. I don't know very many people who didn't want to be the star on the basketball team or the lead in the play. I don't know very many of you who don't want to be the best in, in the workplace, right? There's, there's a part of us that wants to be special, and yet there's another part of us that just wants to stick in with the crowd and not be different, and not be weird. I don't know what your relationship with hand-me-downs was growing up, but for me, I actually loved hand-me-downs because Kyle Vogt, man, bless Kyle Vogt's heart. Kyle Vogt would give me all the name brand stuff. He'd give me the, the Express jeans and the American Eagle shirts and the Abercrombie and Switch Fitch sweaters. I loved me some Kyle Vogt because he would get me some of those nice clothes. And when I had those nice clothes, then I could fit in with the in crowd. I didn't look like a weirdo wearing the wrong kinds of clothes. And I liked that. I think deep down we all kind of have that desire too, to kind of fit in with the crowd, to not be different or too weird. But I love what Craig Rochelle, a pastor in Oklahoma, says. He says, it's okay to be weird, because normal isn't working. It's okay to be weird, to be different, because normal isn't working. Normal results in high anxiety rates and high divorce rates. Normal results in anger and division. Normal results in hopelessness. And in the midst of that normal, Jesus invites us with this sermon into a different kind of life into a different kind of kingdom. At the heart of Jesus' sermon is an invitation to participate in this new kind of life. A life that is full of joy, 
and hope. A life that is full of the right kinds of treasures. But you and I, we have to decide, will I be okay with being different? If it means following Jesus wherever he's calling me to go, or do I just want to stick in with the crowds, with the pagans and the people who act religious, but really their hearts are far from me? And so the heart of the sermon is an invitation into a different kind of life. But what about the hands of the sermon? What does Jesus actually want us to do? Well, he wants us to put his words into practice. Can you imagine that? Jesus wants us to put his words into practice. As we embark on this three-month journey through the Sermon on the Mount, it's important to begin with the end in mind. It's always good to begin with the end in mind. When I was a kid, uh, I used to watch way too much sports. My wife is probably thinking used to. You still do. Uh, That's okay. But I used to get up at 545 so I could watch SportsCenter Top 10 and then watch a whole other episode of SportsCenter before I ever went to school. So I wanted to watch pretty much the same thing twice. It's so dumb. But that's what I would do. And so I would watch a lot of sports, and we used to have ESPN Classic, where ESPN Classic, they would show you games that had already happened. And I remember I was watching ESPN Classic one day, watching a game that I had watched the day before. And my older brother came in, And I bet my brother on the end score of that game because it's important to start with the end in mind. And I can't remember if my brother beat me up after that or not, but but it's important to start with the end in mind. And it's important to start with the end of the Sermon on the Mount in mind. If you fast forward to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, these are the final words of Jesus in this beautiful sermon. Here's how Jesus sums it up. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. What does Jesus actually want us to do with this sermon, this beautiful sermon, he wants us to put his words into practice. Jesus doesn't want us to hear this sermon and go, man, preacher, that was a good sermon today. He doesn't want us to do that. He doesn't want us to do a Bible study on his sermon, as beneficial as that would be. Jesus doesn't want us to just marvel at his words. No, Jesus wants us to put his words into practice. And when we do that, we build our lives on the rock, the only steady foundation that we can have. And when we don't, it's like building a house on the sand and everything around us crumbles. When I think about this parable, the parable of the wise man and the foolish man, I'm always reminded of this video. I want you to watch it with me.
ahead and pause it. That's what it looks like when we build our lives on the sand. That's what it looks like when we, when we hear this sermon and don't put the words into practice. Our house, our lives, everything crumbles all around us. But when we build our lives on Jesus and put his words into practice, we are like the wise man. And so as we conclude today with our head, that Jesus is the king with a different kind of kingdom, with the heart, knowing that Jesus is inviting us into a different kind of life, and then our hands, knowing that Jesus wants us to put his words into practice, I want us to go back to the first question we asked. Can I change? Is it possible for me to change? The answer is yes. But we have to begin in the right place and with the right person. And what I want you to know today is that transformation begins when we build our lives on Jesus' words. Transformation begins when we build our lives on Jesus' words. And so we want to invite you in 2023 and especially over these next three months to come to the feet of the King, to sit with Him, to listen to His words, and then to do His words so that you and I can be a different kind of people, a different kind of community, a different kind of kingdom citizens with a different kind of king. Will you participate in that kingdom? Only you can answer that question. And I'm excited to see so many of us say yes.